today on Ag News Daily. Yeah, it is hot, dry, windy, and frankly, just awful lately. Um, we actually, last week, we had a big dust storm roll through. Um, some areas experienced about 60 mile an hour winds. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's a Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, and it's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how is your Friday going? Mm, Ashton, I'm not going to lie to you. My brain really hurts today. Uh, farmers probably, if they've worked an outside off the farm job, will know what I'm about to talk about. But we use here at Trader PhD a CRM, which is basically our database that helps us manage all the different farmers we work with and their account information. And we're merging that today to use a different one called Salesforce. And so there's just a lot of data entry and data mapping, things that they're used to, I'm sure, with what they're doing out in the fields right now. But I tell you what, I am, uh, my brain is fried right now. Well, Delaney, that doesn't sound like it's, you know, too good of a Friday, but hopefully things can can turn around for you. Yeah, that's my hope. Or I'll just uh, have to kick it out early here and take off because I think I'm about at, at my limit right now. I definitely won't blame you if you take off a little bit early today, but I want to go ahead and touch on something that I've been seeing on social media and across the the news wires that is field fires with it being so dry and hot and windy across the the U.S. and really in the Midwest is where I've been seeing it. I'm seeing a lot of field fires as folks are in the combine and going through harvest. Yeah, I am seeing that as well. I put out a Twitter request, I guess you could say, a few days ago, asking folks how they were doing for harvest this year and also asking them to send their pictures. And I don't know, I had a pretty good handful of guys and gals that sent in photos of combines and equipment. I think there was a grain bin or two, but they were on fire. So now as a, you know, as we talked about, really important time of year to get rain and we've not been getting much rain as of lately. And that is definitely having its impact on folks out in the field. Certainly is. And with my discussion with Madison Mackley, who we'll get into later for today's Friday conversation, she mentioned she's she's out in Kansas, but she mentioned that Colorado is seeing a lot of wildfires and that smoke is actually getting into that northwest part of Kansas. And so I just, you know, don't think things are going too well for a lot of folks right now. No, it's uh, it's that time of year when folks are got their nose to the grindstone, so to speak, and trying to get harvest done and all that. But we'll continue keeping our listeners abreast of all the good ag information and news that's going on out there, Ashton, including... A little piece of news I have here for folks that are looking for CRP as another way to diversify their income. We saw landowners and producers enrolled about 21.9 million acres of CRP ground, and they should begin receiving about $1.68 billion in annual rental payments from the USDA. And that will be starting to trickle out. Those payments should be starting to trickle out as early as next week. Wow, that uh, was a pretty quick turnaround, is it not? Uh, you know, my knowledge of CRP isn't what it should be, Ashton, if I'm being quite honest. I don't know what the deadline was to enroll CRP for this time of year. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Well, Delaney, I have a little bit of news 
coming from NASDA. The NASDA CEO, Barb Glenn, has made it certain that the priorities of NASDA will remain the same no matter who wins the upcoming presidential election. Glenn says that NASDA had a dialogue with both campaigns about their priorities. That first priority being for NASDA members to expand and preserve market access for trade. The second is protecting workers in the food and ag sector, which is a new focus during the COVID-19 pandemic. Other priorities of NASDA are, of course, food safety, expanding rural broadband access, enhancing resiliency of the U.S. food supply chain, and inviting in climate resiliency programs. Glenn highlighted the importance of NASDA, which is a nonpartisan organization, to talk to both the Biden and Trump administrations to help farmers, ranchers, and rural communities. And Glenn was quoted as saying, agriculture isn't a red or blue issue. Food and agriculture is a critical infrastructure. It matters now more than ever that we have resiliency and policy for rural America to recover from this pandemic. Well, that is certainly good news to hear, Ashton. I think, you know, I think people have a hard time believing that, though. I'm being a little pessimistic here, but I think it's hard to say that their priorities won't change because I think the president directs what your priorities should be. So uh, we'll watch that one and see if that really does uh, keep true. But I've got some big news for the meat industry. As you know, we've talked about Pilgrim's Pride having to pay out settlements for their alleged price fixing in the poultry industry. Well, for those of you that don't know, Pilgrim's Pride is actually owned by JBS. And we've got some big JBS news. Josley and Wesley Batista, who were indicted for, again, allegedly doing some bribing and price fixing, uh, have agreed to pay nearly $27 million to resolve the charges around an extension of around those extensive bribery schemes. And the SEC found that the Batista brothers engaged in a bribery scheme as early as 2009 during their acquisition of the Pilgrim's Pride Corporation. And they said that Pilgrim's had agreed, you know, of course, to pay that $110.5 million fine because of price fixing. And so the SEC said that following the acquisition... And so while they were acquiring Pilgrim's Pride, they were also serving as board members. And so it sounds like the Batistas paid about $150 million in bribes uh, to help secure funds to fully acquire Pilgrim's Pride. So it sounds like there's a lot of money floating around here, a little confusing to follow that money. But at the end of the day, the money has been followed and it shows that the Batistas have done quite a bit of price fixing, bribing and other scandals across the protein industry. Well, Delaney, I'm sure as time goes on, we'll get a little bit more clarification on, you know, where that money was floating around to and and, and all that good stuff. But I just have one other bit of news here today, and it's talking about beer. Sintera, who is a technology company that provides agronomic insights, is partnering with Anheuser-Busch to improve nitrogen usage among growers. The pair is set to focus on nitrogen demands in rice production, which is critical for beer. And Delaney, I had no idea that rice production and beer even went hand in hand, but it's definitely an interesting story. Anheuser-Busch's agronomy team will use Sentara's technology to make field-level nutrient and nitrogen prescriptions 
They'll target high yields while maintaining responsible nitrogen programs. One issue that rice growers can run into with nitrogen is luxuriant growth, which is a phenomenon that occurs when too much fertilizer is applied to the grass. And when this happens, the crop is more susceptible to disease, stem strength is reduced, and the crop can lodge. In addition, the excess nitrogen can't add any yield. It just costs money and can harm the environment through leaching and denitrification. So it sounds like this, this pairing of Sentara and Anheuser-Busch is going to help increase rice yields. And these, these beer producers are, are really taking notice of it. So I think it's something that I might have to, to reach out to Sentara to do a Tech Tuesday interview about this. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I didn't really realize that there was rice production involved in beer as well. So interesting little Friday tidbit there for us. Absolutely, Delaney. But like I said, that was my last bit of news this Friday. Are you all out and ready to get into the markets yet? Uh, yes. Unfortunately, we will have to chat markets now. And it really was a down day, a turnaround day again in the soybean markets. But let's talk first corn. We saw mixed trading today. As uh, you look out at some deferred contracts, they ended positive. We're looking out pretty far in advance, December 2021. But the first front month, few front month contracts ended lower on the day. The December contract shedding a penny and three quarters to close at 402. The March down three quarters of a cent to close at 407 and a quarter. In soybeans, like I mentioned, down across the board all the way out into November of 2021. November 2020, however, dropped 11 and a half cents to close at 10.50 and three quarters. The January down 10 and three quarters to close at 10.51 and a quarter. In the wheat pits, the December contract adding eight and a quarter cent to close at 6.26 and a half. March up five to close at 6.24 and a half. In the livestock pits, the, the October live cattle contract as pick this up here. In the live cattle contracts, the December contract shedding 92 and a half cents to close at 108.62. The February down 95 to close at 111.47. In the feeder cattle pits, the November contract continued weakness, cutting $1.45 to close at 135.02.5. The January down 277 to close at 129.32. Lean hogs also losing on the day as the December contract down 7 cents to close at 69.80. The February down 47.5 to close at 70.95. And in the dairy class 3 milk futures, the November contract shedding a penny to close at 20.82. December down excuse me, December up nine cents. So goes at 1875. Ashen, I need to stop talking. I keep tripping over my words today, but tell us who we're talking to for today's Friday episode. Today, we're talking to a producer from Northwest Kansas, Madison Mackley. You want me to go ahead and just bring it out? Mm -hmm. Okay. A big thank you again to Madison for coming on and sharing her harvest story and talking about Milo. I mentioned there that I, I wasn't sure if we've really had a Milo producer on the podcast, but I might have to reach out to one just to get you know a little bit more in-depth information about Milo. Yes, I agree. We certainly should try and have that on a little bit more. Um, I was just seeing some photos the other day of Milo harvest and I think it's super fascinating. 
It certainly is, Delaney, but we're always having fascinating conversations here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, and you can follow along with those conversations with us on social media at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Well, folks, for today's Friday conversation, we have Madison Mackley, who told me just a moment ago she is a jack of all trades. So we're super excited to have you on, Madison. Thank you so much for coming yes. and joining us from Thank the online. Yeah, say so we are we are picking corn still. We just started a couple weeks ago, so we've got a couple weeks left. And basically, anytime anyone needs me, this is a good place to find me. Well, Madison, since you did tell me that you were the jack of all trades, why don't you go ahead and explain to our listeners on why you are claimed to be a jack of all trades and maybe just a little bit more about what you do at your operation. Yeah, so I came back to the farm full time uh, last year, right before fall harvest. Um, So I was the extension agent in a neighboring county for about a year and a half and then decided to make the transition back home. Um, So I got my degree uh, from K-State in agronomy and a minor in animal science. So that's been pretty beneficial to come back and actually be able to help out. Um, I do a lot of the scouting during the summertime um, when corn is coming up. I go check our milo, um, our wheat. We did spring wheat this last year. So I just go and check the fields and kind of just give them a rundown of what I'm seeing. If I'm seeing any pests or any diseases, yield problems that we'd be potentially facing later on and so with that I just stay busy and I do a lot of our technical stuff too so um, we run John Deere equipment and so we utilize the John Deere op center a lot and so I've spent a lot of time with our dealer working out um, how to get that all set up for us so that way we can have everything all nice and neat in one place and kind of just bringing the guys into the 21st century technology wise. And um, within the last couple months, I was actually asked to come on board the Kansas Farm and Ranch Radio Network. Um, So I'm kind of double teaming it there. So I spent half the time on the farm with uh, my dad and my uncle and my family. And then the other half, I am working uh, for a radio station full time as the farm director. So kind of just do a little bit of everything. I am not mechanically inclined, though. So if something breaks down, my first instinct is to call my dad or my brother. Um, But I can change my own oil. So that's about as good as that gets. (laughs) Well, Madison, you're doing a lot better than me. I can't say that I can change my own oil. But when it comes to being a a dry land operation and mostly no-till, which is, you know, something that you discussed with me prior to, to our interview, have you guys always been, you know, a mostly no-till operation or is this something that you guys are trying to introduce more into the farm? Yeah, so we've been mostly no-till um, for honestly as long as I can remember. We do still um, have occasional tillage when necessary, but uh, out here where we're at, like you said, we're dry land. We're trying to conserve as much water and nutrients as possible. So we like to get a lot of ground cover, a lot of organic matter built up. Um, just so we can kind of just utilize our resources we have available, um, especially years like this year where we are way below average on our moisture from January 1st. Uh, We've got some fields that are about making eight inches max of precipitation from January 1st. And so that's just been really hard to see uh, any rain that they did get. A lot of them got hail 
So it was drought to hail back to drought. So it's just, it's one of our tools that we can utilize just being a no-till operation, just trying to keep as much ground cover as we can, trying to conserve as much moisture as we can where we're at. So Madison, you bring up weather and I'm really glad that you did because I wanted to discuss that. What is weather looking like right now as you're going through harvest? Are you seeing any, you know, bumps in the road as you're, you know, in the combine or, you know, what have it, has it looked like for the past couple of months and how is it affecting your crop? Yeah, it is hot, dry, windy, and frankly, just awful lately. Um, we actually, last week, we had a big dust storm roll through. Um, some areas experienced about 60 mile an hour winds. Uh, we couldn't, we had truck drivers that couldn't see the, the front of their trucks, like the end of the hood driving down. So we had to stop. Um, that was too much for us. We were, we wanted to avoid accidents. It wasn't worth it to still be out here trying to to get trucks to and from the elevator in those conditions. But that's been pretty much how it is. Today is hot and windy. Well, hot, essentially, it's 60 degrees in the middle of October. And I love summer. And even for me, that's a little weird. Um, but it has been just very hot, very dry, very windy for a long time now. So we actually had corn dry down a lot faster than normal this year. So we were able to get out in the field a little bit earlier and... Uh, we are experiencing a lot of smoke because we are right uh, about 45 miles from the Colorado state line and Colorado is experiencing a ton of wildfires. And so all of their smoke has been coming and venturing into Kansas too. So it's hazy a lot. Um, my allergies have been terrible this year because you got dirt and smoke and I have never prayed so hard for snow or rain in my life. It has been truly a hot, miserable summer and just continuing into the fall. I'm sure you're not the only one out there who's praying for some precipitation. And we're actually looking to have, you know, somebody come on the podcast next week to talk about weather. So folks, be, be sure to tune in for that conversation as well. But Madison, what is your yield looking like for your, your crop that you're harvesting right now? I know folks have been talking about whether it's going to be higher or lower than expectations, but for you specifically, what is yield looking like? Yeah, well, since I was kind of the one going out and looking at things throughout the summer, I could kind of gauge a little bit knowing we were going to have um, a little bit lower yields this year compared to our average, just because of how our summer went rain wise and weather wise. And like I said before, a lot of the precipitation we did get came with hail. So we were struggling with being thankful for the rain, but also just hoping that we weren't in the line of hail. And I know some farmers just um, 20, 30 miles west of here where they got hit by hail every time it would rain. And that was just heartbreaking to see. And it's just, yeah, we're experiencing a little bit lower. We've still got good yields overall, um, except for our fields that did get hit by hail. You can definitely tell that they're struggling a little bit, but we're a little bit below average, but um, nothing that's really too concerning. Well, that is certainly good to hear, Madison. And being down here in Lubbock, every time it rains, I think it probably hails in the spring. And, you know, that's when we're kind of getting ready for, for cotton. And so I completely understand, you know, 
that that mood of being thankful for rain, but you know, not thankful for the hail. But I want to take things over to Milo because I know that you guys grow some Milo, and I'm not exactly sure if we've ever had uh, a Milo producer come on the podcast. So can you just you know, at a ten thousand foot glance, give us a look at what you know getting Milo into the ground and going on to harvest, what that process looks like? Yeah, it's a little bit easier than corn. Um, Milo is pretty hardy. It's pretty drought resistant. Um, So a lot of farmers have been planting it in our area. Um, So it, when it comes out, it does look like corn. So from the road, it's for some people, if they don't know the difference, it's kind of hard for them to tell. Um, But like I said, Milo is a little bit hardier except for this year, um, where we're at, it's been having a little bit lower yields than expected. Normally, if you have a drought year, your Milo is what's kind of, kind of keep you afloat, but, um, we don't have a lot of it this year. We did more corn for the fall. And I know some guys in our area where their Milo hasn't headed out. So they're not actually producing a crop. Um, so it's just kind of hit or miss, I think on, kind of how things are going to react because with the way things went this summer I was really expecting the Milo to do better and in our area it's just not but um, I've got a friend who's a little bit northeast and he was doing some custom cutting in um, Nebraska they were experiencing like 130 bushel and they were doing great and we've got guys around here that are just struggling to even justify planting it again. So there's going to be a lot of considerations and a lot of talk um, as we go through harvest on what next year is going to look like and just kind of hopefully gauge it on maybe we'll get back to our normal precipitation and can just get hopefully as back to normal as we can and start producing those better yields for Milo as well. I am right there with you, Madison. I'm really, you know, kind of looking for the light at the end of the tunnel and hoping things can get back to normal as as soon as possible. But for the folks out there who are, are listening along and want to hear more about your operation or follow along with your harvest story, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at Madison KFRR. And then on Instagram, I'm just Madison Mackley. Um, I post a lot about our harvest, uh, kind of updates as we're going through and share a lot of funny memes that I find along the way. Funny to me, I guess. Some people don't agree, but yeah, I share a lot as we go throughout the year, kind of just a little bit of snippets of what we're doing. Well, again, Madison, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your story. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. A big thank you again to Madison for coming on and sharing her harvest story and talking about Milo. I mentioned there that I I wasn't sure if we've really had a Milo producer on the podcast, but I might have to reach out to one just to get, you know, a little bit more in-depth information about Milo. Yes, I agree. We certainly should try and have that on a little bit more. Um, I was just seeing some photos the other day of Milo harvest and I think it's super fascinating. It certainly is Delaney, but we're always having fascinating conversations here on the Ag News Daily podcast. And you can follow along with those conversations with us on social media at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.